The instructions of God are indispensable. The instructions of God, they are indispensable. That means you can't do away with them. You can't throw them away and still expect to experience the best of God. Why should God grant you, give his best out to us when we are continually, he is merciful, he is kind. So scripture will say, when, while we are faithless, he remains faithful. And I learned in my Bible that God is long-suffering, which the picture is that he's got a long nose. It is not that God hasn't got a nose. He has one. It is long. Which means it takes a long time for him to sneeze. But it is never that God doesn't have a nose, that he doesn't sneeze. So the point is, it gets to a time, God will sneeze. It gets to a time, God will show forth. God will have to punish. God will have not take some of the things away. You see, and the challenge is this, the, the young, young children amongst us today, and young people amongst us today, most of them do not or are not able to distinguish between a changing society and the principles of God. They think that because society is changing, then the principles of God too are changing. But principles are permanent. Principles don't change. Principles remain as is. So while the society is changing, the principles of God remain the same and they must be applied. When a person violates a principle of God, the consequences will be faced. You cannot jump from a 10-story building without a parachute falling down to the hard ground and say, I didn't know that my head will crush. I didn't know who would save you. You cannot take a gun, put it to your mouth, and click the trigger and say, I didn't know. But it will blow something. It will do something. The principles of God. When things rise up, they come back down. Hello. If you look at Psalm 78 and the ninth verse, it reads, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were carrying arms and bows. That means they were armed, but they turned their back because they did not have the the inner strength to stand and fight. So though armed, they still turn their backs on the enemy. 10 says, they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Verse 18, and they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lusts. 
Yeah, they speak against God. They, they, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Come on. Almighty God, you are asking him, can you produce a table of meat? Of, can you put a feast for us in the, in the wilderness? No, you can't. They doubted God. Verse 19 says, sorry, 20 says, Behold, he smote the rock that the water gushed out and the streams over, 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 overflowed. Can he give... Can he that did, can he, can he who, he who struck the rock and water came out, can he give us bread? Come on. Can he provide flesh for these people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. God did, did, did not like that. I brought water out of rock for you to drink. Is it flesh that I cannot give you? So a fire kindled against Jacob. That's Israel. And anger also came upon up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. So there comes a point where the opportunities that God has given, he takes them away. And when he takes them away, we see the chaos and the troubles that we see around us. Can this be fixed? Is there a way out? Can we come out of this? The answer is yes. Hallelujah. That's why I'm standing here today. The answer is yes, we can. There's a way out. Psalm 78, verse 2 to 7. Let's read it now. Asaph, who writes this psalm, is a contemporary of David. He was a Levite and a teacher. <sighs> Praise God. It is the same Asaph who writes Psalm 73, which most of us quote a lot. My feet had I nigh, had, had I nigh slipped until I entered the house of God and I understood the end of the wicked. He said, I was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. I thought they had it all. Why is the righteous suffering until I entered the house of God? Asaph was a teacher, a Levite te teacher. And here in verse 2, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings. The word parable here stands for instructions. And I'll say dark saying, that's wisdom, wisdom sayings, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children that they might 
set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. Hallelujah. So here we find hope. And what we see in these few verses is this God is telling us that, yes, we can raise a godly generation that you can raise. God is telling us, you and me, we can raise a godly generation that trusts God, that know God, that love God. If we, the parents, will embrace the responsibility to teach them the praise of God, the strength of God, and the wonderful works of God. Hallelujah. God is saying, yes, we can. We can raise a generation of young people. You see, Asaph gives us four groups of people. Asaph tells us about his generation, his people, that we will not hide. So he, he talks about themselves. And then he talks about what we have heard from our fathers. So their fathers. And he talks about the children. And then their children. So he, say, he gives us four different groups of people. Our fathers, ourselves, our children, and our children's children. And he's saying that what we heard from our fathers, we will pass on unto our children, and our children also are meant to pass on unto others. And what Asaph says here is the mind of God. That is the mind of God. Deuteronomy 6, 7 puts it this way. It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and, thou, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So we see that God has a solution. God has an answer to the problem we are facing now. He says, the fathers, sorry, when I use fathers today, if I use it, I will try and use parents. But if I use fathers, I'm referring to both mother and father. Parents. And I'll keep the word par parents because with some homes, the fathers have traveled, traveled and are not around. So only mothers are doing the job. But you're still a parent. It's like your responsibility. And in some cases too, the mother probably has traveled somewhere. So only father is at home. Yes, you are still a father. You are still a parent. Praise God. So bear with me when I say father or when I say I, I mean parent. Oh, you may, you may not be the biological mom, biological dad. But you are, you are uncle or you are auntie or you are grandma or you are whatever, but you are still raising someone. Praise Jesus. He's saying, this is possible. It's possible. Something is missing. So what we see in this passage here, we see... A responsibility that parents 
must embrace a responsibility. Parents must embrace the responsibility of passing the commands of God on. It's when parents miss out on passing the commandment of God on, then we have a situation where people are enjoying, children are enjoying the benefits of God, but are not acknowledging or, appre or appreciating God. Because we're not passing it on. And you see the way he said the passing on must be done? Not necessarily in a classroom style. He says, as you walk by the way, as you sit down, and as you lie down. Sometimes we don't realize that sitting down, just talking with your children, just having a chat, you don't realize that it is a form of teaching. Because you would be putting one correction here or there as you sit with them. Just having a, you, you might call it a frivolous chat or just a casual chat at home. They've come back from school, you are home and they're just having a chat. That's not, you haven't even opened Bible. I'll come to that in a little bit. And as you walk by the wayside, sometimes the child wants to see something and laugh at it. And you're going to say, child, don't laugh at that. That is a way of teaching. But oftentimes we don't realize it's, it's, it's a form of teaching. We think it has to be when you sit down in the classroom and a teacher stands before you and say, that is no. They're learning as they're going along. Let's continue. Come with me to the verse 3. So in the verse 3 to 5, it says, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing the generation to come. And the praises of, of the Lord, and his strength, and his wonderful works, which he had done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. So God specifically wants parents to make it known to the children. If you're a good Bible student, you would have read or you'd have noticed that when Joshua led them through Jericho, walking dry on Jericho, walking on the... On the, after they've parted Jericho and they walk through, God asked jo jo Joshua to pick some stones, 12 stones, to carry them with them and put them in the land where they were going to live. And he said, later on, your children will ask you, what do these stones stand for? And you will tell them something. Praise God. You will tell them something. You will tell them what the Lord did. It's important. So we see that God expects us to embrace this responsibility. Oftentimes, people would want to let, you know, whoa, they go to Sunday school. Isn't that enough? No, think about it. Think about it. Sunday school, how many hours do they spend in Sunday school? The name even tells you, Sunday. 
Sunday school. And usually they are in there for just about an hour. So, how much are they going to learn in that one hour? The Sunday school teachers will do their best, but let's not rely simply on Sunday school. The real work of raising children is in the hands of the parents. Because you are with them. In theory, in theory, you are with them their whole life. I know they go to school and they spend about eight hours in school. Is it eight hours? Six hours, okay. They spend six hours in school every day. The rest of the hours, they sleep eight hours, 14. So 14 is gone. How many left? Ten. This ten, what do we do with them? On a Monday. If you are not home when they come, they have fellowship with a TV. If you've got Superbook, well, God bless you. At least they, they can watch that. But if you haven't got Superbook, and what you've got is the Simpsons, you are in trouble. Simpsons is what, is what they will watch throughout before you come. And what have they learned? All the mischiefs of Simpsons. But there is something I want to point out in the verse 5. So first of all, we parents must embrace our responsibility. So Teresa Jamra, Jamra, ya entry. Mr. and Mrs. Entry, you are saying we have the responsibility. Embracing it. Embrace it. It's our responsibility to raise you up. Pass on what the Lord has taught us. Maybe yours is called John. You want to embrace that responsibility and say, hey, John, it is my responsibility to raise you up. Or mercy. Watch something in the verse 5. He says, for he established a testimony in Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel. He established a testimony. The word established is not <laughs> the normal thing about, the, the, the normal, and, uh, the way we'll explain established, as, as in putting something down on the, on the ground. Actually, this one is more about making something so visibly clear. Like lifting something up, making it so visibly clear, it is still establishing. And then he says, he established a testimony. The word testimony here also does not mean testimony as we tell tes te testimonies, you know? The Lord, this, that, right. In a sense, it means that, but I want to explain something. It means, that word that means a repeated occurrence, a repeated event, something that the Lord deliberately repeats. 
So the Lord deliberately repeated certain occurrences, certain events in Israel so that it will become established. If it was healing, he made sure that healing occurred and occurred and occurred and occurred. That we will know him as a God who heals. If it was deliverance, he delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered. Now Israel understands our God is a deliverer. It becomes an established testimony that our God is a deliverer. If it is faithfulness, when they are unfaithful, he remains faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful throughout. Then we come to understand that, oh, our God is a faithful God. Even when we are faithless, he is always faithful. So that's what he means by, he established a testimony. And he gave a law to Israel. And then what next? And he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. This is the thing that I'm on now. What they saw God do consistently over and over and over and over, they were meant to teach their children. That means what they have experienced about God, they are to teach it. Pass it on to your children. Let your children become aware. That's what God is saying. So this is the thing. You cannot teach. <laughs> we cannot teach the children what we haven't learned. It doesn't work. Hello. And that is the problem. That's the reason why we find ourselves where we find ourselves in the society, in the society that we find ourselves in. Because sometimes we try to teach with the lips. But the kids don't get that. It's what we've experienced. So the question is this. Have you experienced anything about God? He wants you to teach it. You see, teaching what God wants us to teach to our children is not like teaching history. Teaching history is easy. Why? Anybody can be a history teacher, but not everybody can be a maths teacher. I will show you why I said that. In teaching history, all you need to do is read and say, in 1944, so-so-and-so died, and so-so-and-so became the king, and so-and-so did that. That's history. Pass it on. But in maths, okay, fine, teach. Put all the things on the board. When you finish, You've got to solve the problem. Until you solve the problem, and the children can see, you can do it. How can you tell them to do likewise? So it is like teaching maths. With maths, you've got to understand the thing, and you've got to have gone through the process of being able to solve the problem. Because if you give them the task, and they can't solve it, who will solve it in the, in the, in the classroom? You're the teacher. So if you can't solve it, what are we doing here? So that is what it is like teaching the things of God. 
It's things you have experienced, things you've gone through. Those are the things we can teach. And God makes sure that we have experienced. He has established a testimony in Israel. So he establishes something. He repeats something in your life over and over and over and over and over. I've learned this. I know this. And now you can teach the children. But until we've gone through that. So the question is, are we learning anything from, from God? I'm not talking about a textbook. I'm talking about God. Because there is one thing knowing Facts in the Bible. I'm a preacher. So I can tell you this. It's one thing knowing the things in the Bible. And it's one thing knowing the God of the Bible. And we are talking about the God of the Bible. The New Testament says, if I know, if I have all knowledge. And I don't have love. And love is God. I don't know him. I'm become like a sounding symbol. I don't know him. The day of trial will reveal me. A day of trial will, will, will show me up. And if we, be, if we will be genuine to ourselves, you realize that sometimes you enter certain, certain situations and you realize you've not walked in faith for a long time. And now you face with something. Any, any witnesses here? Okay, my, my two hands are up. You walk and walk and walk and walk. You get so busy and then you face something. You realize, whoo, I haven't exercised faith for maybe about six months. You were just flowing through. Ooh. Then you face with something and then faith must be exercised. You realize. That is why some weeks ago I said, now I don't like carefree life anymore. Now I want more troubles. And ever since I said that, they keep coming. They keep coming. And I'm getting them. I'm in two right now. I haven't gotten out of it yet. But it's, it is good for, for, for me. Because it is keeping me trusting. And it is keeping me humble. Because I'm trusting and I'm humble. And I'm waiting. Hmm. You know what I'm waiting for? Do you know what I'm waiting for? Should I tell you? A million pounds. <laughs> Praise God. So, we can only teach what we have learned and are practicing. Now, the next question is, so we are to, we are to embrace our responsibility as parents. But what is the nature of this, of this responsibility? What is, what is the nature? Asaph does not leave us wondering what it is. Asaph tells us the nature of the responsibility. Verse 4, please. Psalm 78, verse 4. Asaph is a good teacher. He, teaches, he, he tells us what the nature of this responsibility is. He says that the first one is this. He says, we will not hide from them, from, hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. The thing that God wants us to teach our children is one, the praises of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The praises of God. 
They need to know. They need to have the praises of God. We need to teach it. Because if we don't teach it, their hearts will be void or empty of anything that's inspiring. Now, how many of you here, uninspired, get up to do anything? What I mean by uninspired is that there is no motivation inside you to do anything. Do you get up and do something when there's no motivation? No, you don't. We all do things when we, when we motivate it. So God says, teach them the praises of the Lord. Now, what is praise? What is praise? Praise comes from two pictures. It comes from an eye and a staff. And what does that mean? I signify looking at something afar off. Looking at a great sight. And then pointing towards that great sight. That's what the word praise by itself means. Praise means looking at a great sight afar off. You know, looking at a great sight. So, which means it involves your eyes. Your eyes are seeing some great sight. Now, when you're seeing a sight that is delightful, a sight, a sight that is awesome, what happens to you? Do you remain sad? No, you don't. Look at that wonderful sight. Wow, wow, awesome. You call others to come and have a look too. So when he says the praises of the Lord, he's talking about the great sights of the Lord. Basically, it is this. God has created many great scenes. Most of them are recorded in scripture. Great scenes. One of the great scenes is parting of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel walking on dry ground. Hello. One of the great sights is danger coming to Egypt and God keeping Israel. They, 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 they are in the land, but they are not affected by the trouble. It's something wonderful to behold. That the flies are running everywhere, but not there. Children are dying here. But here, he's drawn a line that no child is dying here. And you wonder what's going on. A great sight. He keeps Noah in the ark. For those period of time, people are, Noah doesn't even see what's happened outside once he's locked in. And then when it's over, Everything comes, settles down. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can you believe that Abimelech takes Abraham's wife to be his wife? Watch this. Abraham is a stranger in the land. That means Abraham is a foreigner. 
He has not got anyone to speak for him. No one. And the, the king, not one of the slaves, the king has taken his wife. Who will speak for you? But God himself visits the king at night and tell him, if you don't return the man's wife, you are dead. These are great sights that when your eyes are seeing these things, it fills your heart with gratitude. It fills your heart with adoration. Now, this is the thing. Right now, it's not physically in our eyes, in our imagination. So what God is saying is that teach them the praises of the Lord. Those great sights, the, the, the great scenes that God, things that God, those great scenes that God has created, teach them to the children. Teach them to the children. What should I teach? God is showing us what we should teach. Teach them to the, to the children. Come into the Bible. Open those scenes. Let them read it, describe it. I mean, do whatever you can so that they can, they can get it. Let them go, wow. So did God do that? Yes, he did. I remember one young child, as we were reading, God commanded the, the, the cattle to come from the sand. He said, what? So you mean the cows and the goats all came from the sand? Yes. Wow. That was the expression. That is teaching the praises of God. Is someone hearing me? Teaching the praises of God. Let them see. Let them have that thing. The next thing he says quickly is strength. 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 The meaning of strength is to know a weapon. I want to say someone is strong. You are strong only when you know a weapon. What does that mean? When people are coming against you and you know a weapon that you can use, what do you do? You talk back big, don't, don't, don't you? But when you don't have anything, you cower and you begin to beg. But when you know a weapon, they're going to come against me. Oh. Especially when they are coming with swords, right? And you and you and you, and you go again. Whilst they are doing, yeah, yeah, you say, finish, finish it. So when the Bible says that, teach the strength of God. Basically, what he's saying is that teach about the weapon of God. What is God's weapon? God's weapon is His Word. We understand that. He says in Jeremiah 23 verse 29, he said, my word is like a hammer. Watch this. He promised Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. Did it happen? Yes, it did. Nothing could stop it. He told Moses, when you have taken Israel, you will bring, when, you, when, you, when you get them from Egypt, you will bring them to, to this mountain and they will worship me. Did, did it happen? Yes, it did. When he told Joshua, 
You will divide the uh, No man shall be able to stand against you. Did it happen? Yes. And you will divide the land to Israel. Did he do it? Yes. His word is powerful. It is God's word that makes every enemy no enemy. Because his word is powerful. As what Paul could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God that brings salvation. So basically, so basically let the children become aware what God said and what happened. What God said and what happened. Teach these things, he says. Let's teach them. If God told you something and God did it, teach it to your children. God told me this and he did it. Really, mommy? Really? Did God do it? God. But you can't see God, yes, but God is faithful to his, to his, to his word. He says we should teach this to our children. Would we? Hello? Hi. Teach it to our children. Tell them that God's word is strong. It is the strongest weapon. And then he says, his wondrous, his wonderful works. His wonderful works. Actually, the emphasis is not on the works, but the word wonderful. Right? The emphasis is on the word wonderful. And here, it is similar to what Job says in Job 42. Where Job says that, God, when Job was talking plenty, and God said, you, when I was creating the earth, where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, eh? You lay foundation of the earth. It must be very large. My goodness. He said, when I commanded Leviathan, oh, sorry, uh, Leviathan, to keep quiet. Do you know there's, there's, there's something called Leviathan? If he is released, the whole world will catapult. But God said, I have kept Leviathan under the sea, quiet. And the men think that they can rise up against God. No man can. Jesus Christ said, you mean you, 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 you've caught me as a prisoner? Actually, no, you, you didn't. It is because my father wants me to be a prisoner. That, that's the reason why I am. Because if it was about fighting, I will call legions of angels. And did you know that one angel, one angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. One angel just, just, just descended and he decimated them. Made them all nothing. So if Christ is going to call a legion, there's about 100 of angels. If one does that, then about 100 of them, what, what, what would they do? They would have flowed Palestine. I mean, they would have just, the, the whole city would just sink. What are we saying? So Job said, so when God told Job, keep, keep quiet, you are talking too much, then, then, then Job said, sorry God, I have no knowledge, but I have spoken things that are too wonderful for, for me to even understand. So when Job used that word, what Job was saying is that, the things I'm talking about, I don't even have the understanding for, for them. They are too wonderful. That is, they are mind-blowing. The things you do are mind-blowing. I can't even understand them. 
So what God is saying here is that we are to teach the wonderful works. What God is saying is that we are to teach our children those mind-blowing things that he, that he has done. Let me ask you, who dies for his, who dies for his, for his enemy? Who dies for those who are against him? But Christ laid his life down for us. That thing is mind-blowing. We can't understand. He says, teach that to the children. Who consistently remains faithful when you're unfaithful? Who does that? You can't understand. It's mind-blowing. God is saying, teach this to the children. Let them know me. Now the things I do, those things I, those things I do that you've seen in scripture that, are, that, are, that you can't even seem to comprehend. Tell these things to the children. Let them know it. Pass it on. So my praises, my strength, my wonderful deeds, those mind-blowing things, those glorious things that I do, pass them on to the children. And then he said, as you do, it will cause something. Verse 7. Verse 7. In verse 7, he says, it will cause hope. It will inspire that they might set their hope in God. Many people have lost hope in life. Young people, no hope. But God is saying, as you teach these things, it will set hope in their hearts. Hope. Hope talks about having confidence or trust. So it will inspire trust in God. They also begin to trust God as you trust God. Or else you find that you are trusting God, but the kids can't. And all they want to do is just play with. But the thing is because they've not been taught. And he says, it will also, and they will not forget. They will not forget. Forgetting has to, forgetting has to do with memory. Memory. That means they will keep in their mind. That is, the knowledge of God will be in them. So there will be trust. There will be knowledge of God. It will be present knowledge of God. Present. It will not be something that they've learned and forgotten. It will be there. And then he says, they will keep my commandments. And there's something that Christ says about keeping keep of commandments. Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what God is saying is, you know what? It will inspire love in their hearts for me. People who seem to have no love for me. As you take them my praises, my strength, and my wonderful works, it will inspire trust in you. They will trust me. Their knowledge of me will be present. And their love for me will grow. This is what God is challenging us to do. If you're in this place today, and you have any responsibility of any child, which I think we all do, whether biological or by being in a church or by being a family, we have a charge. We have, we, have, we, have, we have a charge to teach what we have learned. And God's saying it will inspire trust, knowledge, and love of God in the hearts of the children. Hallelujah. And they will not be faithless. Praise God. Let's rise up on our feet.
Maybe you've been hearing me for some time now. Talking about what we've learned from God. Passing on onto children. Maybe children are a group that you don't do. You know, like some people say, I don't do children. That's you don't like children. I'll tell you straight without any equivocation. That is not God's spirit. You need to, re you need to, you need to repent. Because you were once a child. So you can't grow up and say, I don't do children. It is not the spirit of God because God is a generational God. And he seeks that the older generation inspire the next generation. If we all become anti-children, then God's work is halted. That's why I say it's not the spirit of God. That that's then suggests to me that you don't know God in the first place. Or maybe, and this afternoon you want to come before God and say, God, my heart has not been right with, with you. So what is being said today, I, probably, I, I won't be able to do it, Lord. But I would want to. Because I can see what is happening in our society. It's breaking down. And very fast. And something must be done. And I'm, I'm a believer that we touch one life at a time. One life at a, t at a time. You touch one, I touch one, that makes two. Ten of us touch one, one each, that is, that is ten. And we may save a whole lot. You want to pray to God and say, God, forgive me. My life has not been, I don't know you, I want to know you. Forgive me my sins. That, that means you don't know God. Tell him, Lord, today I repent. I change my ways. Help me. Come and live on the inside of, of me. Or maybe you are here. You know God all right. But this has never, it has never bothered you to really help any child. You want to say, Lord God, although I have known you, I have not gone this way. Today I want to begin. I want to pray say, Lord, help me. Help me. What I've understood, I want to leave this place to go and begin to do it. Begin to look for those things that praise, that talks about your praise. Those things that talk about how powerful the weapon of your word is. And those mind-blowing things that you do in our world. I'll begin to teach that to my children. Oh, talk to God. Talk to God right now. Because God, every child that is born unto us or born to our world, we have the responsibility of raising up to trust you, to know you, and to love you. Not to hate you or turn their backs on you. Help us, Lord. The word of God, I must say to you, is quick and active. The word of God is living. The word of God is not just a mere 
written text. The word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes out from the mouth of God, it is a living and active word, powerful, able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It is active, it is powerful, 